Welcome to another episode of the Golders Podcast. If you haven't already, click subscribe and look out for new episodes releasing every other Friday. We hope everybody also enjoyed our last episode with Des Bucking. Before we introduce today's guest, we want to mention our partnership with clothing company Capo. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The northwest of England clothing brands strive to provide premium, aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. Now for today's guest. Here is a snippet of what to expect. Everybody's different in their own way, so you need to know how to ultimately build a relationship, build a rapport, people-centred first approach, which again, you hear a lot of, but again, what does that actually mean? And that's something probably over those years I managed to get a good understanding of, practice um, day in, day out. And I like to think that's led me in a position where no matter what personality I come across, I like to think I can build quite a good and strong rapport with people and again, help them go and achieve what they need. We're excited to welcome Owen Coyle Jr onto today's episode of the Golders Podcast. Owen was recently a first-team coach at Queen's Park FC and previously was the head coach of England's national amputee football team, leading them for almost nine years. He's also currently in the process of completing his UEFA Pro licence and has a lot of experiences, even at his young age. Owen, thank you and welcome to the Golders Podcast today. Cheers, David. Thanks for having us on. Delighted to be here with you and, you and Keith. I'm looking forward to catching up. Of course. It's great to see you again and and uh, interact. So, look, first question to us, Goldust is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does Goldust mean to you? I think I think it's not too dissimilar. I think it's about um, helping people achieve, basically, their, their optimum, achieve the, the highest level every environment that I go into, I suppose my purpose, I believe, is um, to either create a place of belonging um, or to, to find a place of belonging. So as part of that, probably the Goldust message is helping people find a place of belonging and then through that, helping them achieve their, yeah, achieve their, their full potential. You and I met many years ago on a, an FA course and since then you've developed your skill sets currently going through your pro license so from doing the mods the english mods to now doing the pro license stuff there's been massive development in yourself and 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 also on a professional level as well but growing up in football uh in a footballing family actually with your dad uh, owen playing and managing the premier league for bolton wonders must have had a significant impact on your formative years how did this upbringing shape and form your core values and beliefs? I think significantly, I we're a very, very close-knit family. So I think from, I suppose, my mum and dad being from Glasgow area, first and foremost, there's probably naturally things that come out of that um, in terms of how they are as people, uh, probably without delving particularly um, when they were growing up and understanding maybe values in a different way. It was still values, but it might not have been as um, put across that way or presented that way to them. So things around respect, around hard work, um, they're all things that have been instilled from us from being really young. And then as you touched on, I had the beauty and 
really fortunate possession as a, a young man growing up. Um, my formative years being in and around a lot of high-performance environments, um, particularly throughout his time at Bolton and Burnley. Um, those Premier League years when I was a teenager and probably didn't really um, understand, I suppose, the magnitude of what he was doing and the level he was involved in. But again, indirectly, probably picked up a lot of really good habits, seen a lot of really good practice as well. Um, seen high performance um, at that time and um, those years at, um, in the works and, and being around it every day so probably rubbed off in many different aspects to probably now why I wanted to go down to that route into coaching um, and into eventual management but probably broaden as that journey's gone it's broadened my horizons to the world and opportunities that exist within it. Well and even though you're obviously still relatively young you've you've amassed a lot of experiences in coaching if you had to introduce yourself to a group that are keen obviously to get to know more about you and your career what would you say about yourself fantastic question and I'd like to think that again the environment I'm involved in I try to make people feel comfortable first and foremost and make them feel welcomed and I'd like to think that what I do is, is mainly for other people. Um, of course, like anybody, you've got your own aspirations and goals and ambitions, but I like to think that the reason I do what I do is to, to help other people achieve um, and, and all that actually makes me better in, in turn by doing that. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite self-conscious. I like to think I'm quite self-aware. I'm always striving to get better and improve and develop myself. I'm always wanting to learn from other people and, and experts in different fields and not just within the world of the football outside of it. Very, very confident uh, back myself and, and what I do and how I try to achieve that. And I think that confidence probably comes from um, the area that I know that I'm always striving to improve. So because I'm striving to improve, I'm all getting better. I feel like I'm getting better. And whilst I continue to do that, I think um, that, that naturally breeds confidence. I'm constantly seeing progress uh, within my own journey and within my own development and my own skill set. So I'd say a lot of those things probably... Um, summarise me as a person um, but the biggest three things that I suppose encapsulate me is trust I like to give trust out to people I'm working with I like to receive trust back um, when I'm working with people um, again that, that sense of belief in everything that I do um, belief in myself but again belief in other people um, and, and that final one which we've already touched on about belonging making people feel welcome and feel like it's an environment that they, they want to be involved in Now you've, you've worked at the professional end of the game but if you go back to your earlier career in coaching, it wasn't always working with professional players. Just share with us how some of those experiences in working at Blackpool Football Club and Oldham Athletic in the community, how did those experiences help to shape how you now work with players? Yeah, massively. Um, because I think, again, when I look at top-level football, and I see a lot of ex-pros coming out of the game, it's it's fascinating to see a lot of these um, individuals come straight into managerial positions within football, and there's some really good practices that that's come off well um, in some instances, and there's a lot of practices where it's maybe not transpired the way that maybe the manager would have hoped coming out of the, the professional game playing. And going back to your question, Keith, around how it's helped me, is I managed to understand what is the process, how they engage with people, 
how do you adapt to different environments, how do you, I suppose, manage influence within organisations, um, what does that process piece look like, then what does the progress look like within each area, and then eventually you get to your level of performance now within those um, first years at Blackpool and Oldham's and Lancashire FAs, my, my performance was around really probably low-level tasks that I was trying to do the best I could do and, and get to that point. Um, and I was probably involved more in the actual process piece than the performance piece. But as I'm gradually becoming older and more experienced and having other opportunities, I'm starting to see myself probably more around the, the progress to performance area, which is eventually what it strives to be, which only happens to be more, I suppose, senior positions that you, you end up in. Um, but no, it's, it was an incredible experience getting my feet on the ground I learn understanding how different aspects of football clubs work, how different aspects of the community work. Um, and again, all those, what I'd probably say, softer skills, learning how to develop them to interact with people uh, really positively. And whether you're in the local community, getting a child off the street into football away from knife crime, whether you're in a nursing home doing a basic chair-based exercise, or whether you're on the football pitch with high-performing individuals, everybody's different in their own way. So you need to know how to ultimately build a relationship, build a rapport, people-centred first approach, which again, you hear a lot of, but again, what does that actually mean? And that's something probably over those years I managed to get a good understanding of, practice um, day in, day out. And I like to think that's led me in a position where no matter what personality I come across, I like to think I can build quite a good and strong rapport with people and again, help them to go and achieve what they need. What was it about the coaching profession that actually intrigued you? I've been doing a lot of work actually in the last six months and trying to understand myself a little bit better in terms of my own beliefs and values and I suppose everything that goes with that. Um, and I think just seeing um, my dad in and around that environment, first of all, and then enjoying what he did. And again, I know a lot of people will come across him and players and coaches and everybody's getting an opinion on football, of course they do. But the one thing that they probably will tell you um, that's probably unquestionable is his charisma. Um, and when I seen it every day in the training ground and he was just full of life and enjoyed it, I, probably as a young man, I always thought, you know, there's something special about that. And maybe it was just him and his approach to it or maybe it was environment. Maybe I didn't understand at that time, but I just always seen football, football clubs and I suppose a career in football is a really, really positive uh, place to be now as I've grown older and wiser. I now know it's uh, it's not all that rosy and there's a lot of challenges and a lot of difficulties that sit within the world of football. Um, but I think probably bringing back to your question, David, that first interaction and seeing how much he loved the game um, within his role, probably played a pivotal part if you want to go down that route. Um, so that, that would probably be one of the reasons why. Um, and then probably the, the little bit about success and, and try to be successful in what he does as again within the, the Burnley and the Bolton uh, side of life in the Premier League seeing him work at that top level and the experience that go with it um, always intrigued me and um, like most I was a, a failed footballer loved the game wanted to become better um, didn't really reach the levels that I aspired to get to so coaching was almost the next best thing which I decided to set my heart on quite early Just changing tact slightly you recently worked alongside your dad at Queen's Park in Scotland. What was that experience like for you? And just describe what your role was. 
I think we've spoken about this briefly, but to begin with, it was uh, it was very very strange, a bit surreal. Um, I know you and David have had a similar experience in terms of what you you call um your dad or your son when you're working alongside them, particularly when they're uh, they're in a higher, more senior position than you. So uh, the first experience was really surreal because I was having to call him Gaffer instead of Dad, which I'd never experienced before. So shouting across the, the training field, um, Gaffer, what do you need doing? Gaffer, do you need this sorted? Um, it was just it was it was a bit uh, yeah, it was just a bit unique it was different um, and then again even in times when he was asking me to do things the the teenage boy kicked in and made to say right no no worries dad I'll be, be in a minute um, and quickly soon realised that I couldn't I had to go he's beckoning call as soon as he shouted me out so um, those experiences straight away in the first few weeks were really surreal um, but my position um, I was the, the first team coach uh, where I eventually got moved up to initially I was a B team head coach um, about quarter of the way through the season around October November they moved me up to the first team to lead in all first team activities um, which was brilliant responsibility that I get given um, and ultimately reporting to him and um, was tasked whatever direction he was kind of taking the team in to, to deliver upon that within the training structure, within the messaging, uh, within the tactical framework um, and then also support the wider staff. So quite a fortunate experience despite being the first team coach and probably managing and overseeing the other staff in terms of head of sports science, head of medical and some of the other areas that we had to resource and support the players that they would report to me and I would again got a really really good relationship up with those guys and learnt a lot from them as well with the, the amount of experience that they had um, involved in their specialised roles so um, yeah between October through to through to the end of the season that was my role delivering training structuring training communicating with players around the, their own development plan, plan process uh, supporting the wider staff and team in terms of the direction we're going in and getting the information required from them to, to ultimately help us perform to the best level possible and then eventually report all that back to the manager and take any instruction from him when appropriate. Well, as a young coach who, who didn't play professional football but has worked with professional players and obviously recently, as you just spoke about at, at Queen's Park, what, if any, is some of the common hurdles that young coaches could face when working with experienced pros? I think the higher up the uh, the pyramid you go to the top level, naturally your knowledge will be tested. Players want information and they want good information and they need to know they can trust the information. So I think any young coach, whether you've played the game or not played the game, but I suppose for those that, have played, that haven't played the game at a good level or a high level like me, um, it becomes a little bit more tricky because... There's probably a bit of imposter syndrome that kicks in at different points. Do I know what I'm speaking about? I've never played at the level these guys are playing at yet. I'm meant to be giving them advice and support. Uh, but like anything, I think once you do know your knowledge because you're, you're going through your courses, you're living it and breathing it every day, you're trying to develop and educate yourself all the time, you're open-minded that you might not always be right, um, but you're trying to give small behaviours maybe um, relating to fruit of that work starting to pay off, then that trust is bought in straight away. So I do think you need a, a good, I suppose, information base. I do think you need to be able to have good relationships with people. I think if you get those two bits right, the rest of it will just naturally develop where they start to trust the work that you're doing because they see it paying off. So again, what maybe fortunately I had within the first eight weeks of me stepping up to that first team um, environment as we won the next eight games. So I'm not saying that was simply down to anything that I was doing on the training pitch and it was solely down to me that that happened. But what did happen was the messages that were delivered on the training pitch started to come to fruition on the, the game day. And because of that, straight away you get that buy-in from the players and they go, actually, I trust in what he's saying and we're getting the output on the other side of it. 
Um, so I'm going to buy into it even more. Now, I know not every role I'll step into and I'll have eight, eight wins in a row from where I started in a club, but that gave me confidence as well to go, you know what, I do know what I'm speaking about. I'm seeing what I'm doing in training. I'm seeing uh, the output of that on a Saturday or a Tuesday. Um, and it just instills your own personal belief and the belief in the group working with you. When working with players, it doesn't matter how much you know, they're just they're more interested in how much you care for them. Now, you brought up, during our discussion here, a lot of words that link quite closely and near and dear to ourselves in regards to building relationships. Now, they play obviously an integral role in developing confidence in players or helps to shape that. But what specifically did you do to build relationships with the players and particularly ones who have, who have a lot more experience in the game as a professional player and have been around the game a lot longer than yourself. The first thing I did actually part was a really simple thing. And again, I do um appreciate the circumstances that I faced twofold were quite unique in the sense of one, the manager was also my father. So there's a bit of probably that's his son um within that. Uh, but I'd like to think they took me on my own merit. And then the second bit was I was in the B team. So I wasn't working with them directly first, uh, for the first two or three months of the season. Uh, but what I did, even when I was the B team manager, every morning, and again, I know it's something very, very simple that most people do, but I made a point of going up and shaking everybody's hands and saying good morning to them. Um, now, when I first walked in, it was very much... No, it was daunting because it wasn't the done thing and you were going up while players were having their breakfast and asking to shake their hand and you could see a few of them looking at you thinking, like, why are you shaking my hand every morning? But then after a week or two, it started just to become the done thing. It was very natural to me to do it. They were expecting it from me and then it started to roll out. They were doing it to themselves. Um, and it started to pay off quite slowly. And it's not something I've spoken about internally to a lot of people at the club because I know myself, I watched it visually, I've seen it all play out. And it was something I was really, really happy um, to see that develop. But going back to the question around what did I do to build rapport with players who ultimately have more experience than me, that was my first thing that I did. Cause it was just a case that I value you, I want to say hello to you, I respect you. And from there, naturally, conversation builds, relationship builds, they take an interest in you. Going back to what you said, Keith, they know you care about you. Good morning. How have you been? How was your sleep last night? You feeling good? Yeah, I am. Well, actually, this guy cares about me and I don't really know him. Um, and that just, that's a snowball effect that continued to happen. So three months in when I got the, the first team role, uh, again, one of the first things that I did in that capacity was I sat down with all the players and just said, listen, I'm going to be doing a lot more. You're going to see me on the training pitch working with you. Um, I want to trust you and I want you to trust me. I want to understand things that, that will help you and where you want to go and what direction you want to travel in. Um, and this is where the manager and the club want to take the team this season. And again, we're on that direction. We've done really well. And we always want to level that up to the next stage. Um, and again, just spending time with people. It's so simple, but sitting in a room with somebody for half an hour and saying like, what do you, where do you want to go? What is it you want to do? How can I help you? And understand them and, and just take a bit of time to understand them. It's it's so simple, but again, in the world of football, it's uh yeah, you get caught away and you're you're doing your tactical stuff and you're doing your planning and everybody's engrossed in their own area. I think sometimes the world of football actually forgets just to take a back step, treat people as as people first and foremost, and then all the stuff rolls off the back of that. So they were a couple of the very subtle, simple things that done, nothing revolutionary, nothing game changing, but actually it helped me settle in my role really, really well and get the buy-in from the players. And thereafter, that process of meeting with them happened every two or three weeks. And again, put development plans in place. Some really simple stuff uh, linked to all the different departments of the club that, again, they fell in love with the progress. No matter what happened on a Saturday, they came into training every day knowing 
that we were there to try and help them progress as, as individuals, people first and foremost, but then as footballers. Um, and I've tried to steer away this whole concept of if you don't win on a Saturday, then it's it's that's it. It's the world's ending. Actually, yes, we want to win a Saturday. Yes, that's what we're all here to do. But actually, what we're prioritising, we're prioritising making sure every single one of you progress every day you come into the training complex. And I think when we started to drive that message and there was a lot of positive feedback as well. So, Owen, just before David asks a question, I'm just going to remind myself, how old are you currently? So, 26. Uh, I think me and David are not, not too dissimilar in age, to be fair. That's why we got on so well. Um, so, yeah, tw tw 26 now. We'll, we'll get a few more grey hairs after the season. So, 26 years of age. You've done your A licence, B licence to follow that, because I know you and David had sort of done your B licences at similar time or at the same time. Pass your A licence. You're now doing the pro licence at 26 years of age. I'm just going to remind people it doesn't matter about age. Age is just a number. It's the quality and the depth of knowledge and understanding of a topic. No, I appreciate it. And to be fair, the, the age thing was something that I was always caught up in for a long, long time because I started was coaching. I became a head coach when I was 19 with England amputee side and it was always something that hung over me is what's people's perception of my age does it does it matter, does it not matter and again over the last probably 18 months it's yeah, it's taken me in a place where it, it genuinely doesn't matter of course people will have their perceptions around that I can't offer my job because this is that next thing but like anything when you get your foot in the door and you can show your value then people take you on, on merit for who you are rather than what, you are, what your date of birth or what your birth certificate is saying so um, no you're right it's certainly for young coaches listening out there naturally there is that bit of imposter syndrome or perception around you need to be 30 plus to be a manager or a coach. I think the game's actually changing a little bit as well, which you're starting to see. It. You mentioned knowing about obviously relationships and relationship building with, with players and people within the environment. But how was your relationship with your, your dad evolved through the experience of working together professionally? Yeah, we've uh, we've always been really close. There's a few times we always probably came to blows in the living room discussing football at half ten or nine o'clock at night when we should have been switching off from it. Um, but it was twenty four seven. We lived together, uh, obviously worked together, same office together, travelled together. It was uh, it was intense, um, but it, it was it was fantastic. And again. I might be fortunate to work with them in the future. And if I am, then then I'd love that opportunity, um, whether that's the next one or beyond. Uh, but the, the relationship we've got is, is really, really close um, from a personal perspective. And I think from a professional perspective, he, over the season, seen a lot more value that I could add. And not that he didn't rate me or he didn't think it was good, but I think I said to yourself and uh, Keith before that he probably didn't know Again, the, the depth of what my knowledge actually was. You know, I was a good coach, you know, I was confident, you know, I could deliver. Um, but I think when he started to see how I could work with players and work with staff and start to, again, support the output of the team, um, which is most important to him on a Saturday, getting, getting results, I think that, again, strengthened that professional relationship even further. So now it's constant football even now. Um, we're back down together in, in England, staying together. So it's a uh, constant chatter about football and, and never really getting away from it, truth be told. So, so sometimes I need to tell me to switch off and, and just take a bit of a back step and talk about Emmerdale or Coronation Street for a little bit of time, but he doesn't seem to do that too often. It's funny you mentioned that father, the son-father relationship. I'm sure David will share now uh, through osmosis. Learning were taking place when I used to travel down to Forest and David travelled with me for me just to have him in and around it. But perhaps you can share, David, 
what your experience was like as a as a young boy, young lad, and the depth of knowledge that he now shares with me, it sort of takes me back, particularly with what well, you just reminded me, to be honest, around what was taking place with your dad when you, you didn't shock your dad with your depth of knowledge, it just came out. But it's amazing what was taking place underneath the surface for those that knowledge base to actually develop. I think you don't really realise until after the fact. So you talked about spending time in and around your dad when he was working at, at Bolton and Burnley and obviously all those other processes that, that he went through. And it was very similar for me where you you just spend time, a lot of time around somebody. And then it was interesting that when I started delivering, early, early on, I'd picked up a lot of the same tendencies, a lot of the way that the ways that I said things, the way that I interacted, and I'd no real idea that I'd done it until it got brought to my attention. A couple of people said, I feel like I'm watching your dad. And I'm going, hang on a second. What do you mean you feel like you're, uh, you're watching my dad? And that, that was obviously, a lot of it was you learn from just being around and being able to experience and didn't really know at the time how much you were learning and, and growing until you actually started implementing. Yeah, I think... I've definitely been through that experience and have been through it and continue to go through it. I think the only thing is now is um, my dad's now my assistant. <laughs> so he, he, he's now, he's calling me Gaffer, I think. Um, he's told me about that. He's told me about that. Yeah. He's, he's saying he's enjoying it. He's not said too many bad words about it. <laughs> well, I hope not. Balls, bibs and cones. He'll be, uh, be mowing the grass if he does. <laughs> yeah, it was a strange one to be honest. That oh, and David had asked me. I obviously, for those that are not aware, I live in in England. David lives in Salt Lake, over in Utah, in America. And he rang up. He said, "We've got a tournament. Would you?" And I shared it with you. But for those that are not not familiar with the story, he, he asked whether I'd be his assistant. And I, oh, would you like to come over to a tournament? I'd like you to be my assistant. And I thought. Yeah, this would be interesting, but I'm not sure whether I'm going to be the assistant or not at this point. So I travel, and it, unless somebody puts the rules out, it's like playing football with no rules. You just get all over the place. So we had to have a framework of what we're going to do. So anyway, we're traveling down to a lovely place, down in St. George, Utah. It's a lovely part of the, uh, of the state. And <laughs> we're only probably about 40 minutes away from the venue, or from St. George, I asked the question, I said, listen, you'll have to tell me what you don't want me to do, because if you don't tell me what not to do, I'll do everything. And then he he quickly responded by, I'm going to do the team talks, and I'll say that I'll have the final say. I thought, Craig, this is quite challenging to hear from my son, having a lot of experiences myself, although you can never stop learning, can you? But it was uh, it was certainly an interesting experience. There are certainly times where you can't buy experience, lived experiences. We can read it, we can talk about it, we got to live it. And uh, but we struck a decent relationship. We actually won the trophy, so we won the won the tournament. So we must have done something well. Well, it's it's not a bad deal that if you're turning away with a trophy. But I mean, what David was saying there around the uh, the this I suppose behaviours and mannerisms you pick up that's something that I was really self conscious of when I went into the first team environment. Because what I didn't want to do was be a second version of my dad, who was a manager. And not only a second version, actually a poorer version. Because as I said, from a 
charisma point of view, I, I, as much as I've probably got mannerisms behaviour, I wouldn't get near his level of how he is and how he interacts with people because he's probably one of the best that I've seen. Again, people say, oh, when he speaks to you in a group, he feels like, I feel like I'm the only person he's speaking to. And you've got all these sorts of things that come out and I'm going, well, how do I behave? How do I even hold myself knowing that there's some natural things within it? Um, but again, it's something that I, I moved quickly beyond. I just went in there. I thought I, I'll be who I be, which is myself. I will have some similarities, of course. Um, and again, that, that kind of quickly went away. But you're right, you end up speaking the same way, talking the same way, doing the same things. Um, and it's only when you clock yourself doing it or somebody points it out to you, you think, oh no, this, is, this isn't great because you've seen it your whole life and thought, oh, I'll, I'll never do that. I won't behave that way. Um, but actually, it's done a lot of it. So a lot of it's positive. So very very fortunate to have the the learned experiences of how he how he does uh, yeah interact with people for sure. How do you then balance and navigate between your professional roles and your personal roles? I think the moment that you cross the uh, the door at home, it does very much become right. You're back to your personal life, um, and again, that's maybe happened indirectly. Uh, but it does become back to the case of he's shouting on me and I'm, I'm telling him I'll be down in two minutes and there's nothing he can do about it. He just needs to sit there patiently until I'm ready to come downstairs other than the training ground when he shouts at me, I'm running to the door because I may be there immediately. Um, so there is that natural, you cross the, cross the white line, you cross the door on the other side and it's very much you're into your, your relative roles. Um, but because how much we speak about the game, there is times you're sitting in the living room thinking, pretty much in work and sometimes it's my mum or my girlfriend or it's somebody that almost needs to give us a little bit of a nudge um, particularly mum she gets frustrated by it right that's enough um, and she'll often say that right that's enough there and she'll try and change topic of conversation because uh, otherwise I think it's just natural because how much uh, love you've got for it and interest you've got for it it, it just kind of probably takes over from time to time so having that support network and, and those key members around us obviously in common in terms of mum and girlfriend and, and different things that are around us help, help us keep us probably away from football um, and again we'll get little things that we do when we're out for meals again you're not on your phone you're not responding to people you're, you're present in the moment with your family enjoying some family time but even for them my mum my sisters etc their whole life has been brought up in their own football too so some way somehow it will eventually always find its way back to a story that's involved football or it happened because football was taking place so that's just the life we live Question for you Obviously, something that that we've touched upon. So, working with your dad, obviously, and and you mentioned around the comparison. So people say, "Oh, you you sound like, or you feel like, you act like, and do certain things that are similar." How do you handle the criticism or comparisons to your your dad's managerial style while maintaining focus on your own coaching goals and visions? Because I think it's important to note that you are your own person. You're obviously extremely good at what you do. We've seen each other work during during coaching licenses and I can attest to to how good you are as a coach and we can touch on how good you are as a player because class always is permanent. Um but how do you handle those moments? How do you handle that? I can confirm for anybody listening that I am not a good player. Uh, I might take the coaching uh, credit you're giving me there, but I'm, I'm rubbish unless you get me in a game of five-a-side where the mobility doesn't take any any part in it. Um, but no, you're, you're right in terms of the, the comparisons. It's, it's difficult times because we do work in different ways. Um, there's no doubt about it. And again, he'll he'll often say, um, and there's other people that have said it in the last few months, even the Premier League, even the top people, they're all the same. You know the same, but of course you do. But there's ways of working, there's 
ways you implement process, there's ways that you deliver um, and, and just do things generally. So uh, we do have two different probably styles and approaches to that and that's not right or wrong, it's just the way it is. But I think the problem balance of it is really positive. So I think when people compare me directly as in you're the same person or I'm expecting the exact same from you as I know from own senior, I just, again, I, I don't really pay too much attention to it. If that's, I think the way I've started to approach over the last couple of years, if that's people's fixed mindset on it and they're not open-minded to seeing a level of change, it's not the type of people I want to be working with. Um, I want to be working with people that are of a similar, I suppose, mould to me, that they want to provide opportunity, they want to provide trust, they want to build a relationship. And if they do that through treating me as my own um, person, appreciating I've got the same name, then they'll see exactly what I Apologies for the wind. Um, I'll just wait for that to bide on a second. Um, yeah, they'll treat me for who I am and they'll see value in my, my own work rather than always that direct comparison to who my dad is or what my dad's done or how my dad works. So what is the best piece of coaching advice you've been offered so far? I might just need a pause a second to, to think about that. Best piece of coaching advice... I, th I think it's probably, yeah, I suppose it would be coaching advice, leadership advice. Uh, but when I was the head coach of the England amputee team, I very much wanted to do everything. I was hands-on, wanted to control everything. As you said, Keith, when you went to that tournament, if you don't tell me what not to do, then, then I'll do everything that I can because I just want to be involved. I want to show people I'm working hard. I want to show people I'm doing. Uh, but uh, one of the biggest things that it was a form psychologist that I was working with, he said, you, you need to take a step back. You need to stop coaching. Um, and you actually need to stay in the sidelines and, and watch the performance. And that's where that whole journey and understanding of process, progress and performance started to, I suppose, unravel. And when it first came about, I couldn't really understand what he was saying. And now, probably three, four years later, I, I get it and I get it really, really well. And people use the word process all the time. Process, that was probably not saying a lot of people, but understand what the process actually is you do need to do a lot of work at it to, to truly understand what is a process um, and again how is that measured and how does it help performance um, so that, that bit of advice to tell me to step away from and that's probably more of a niche uh, specific role as a head coach or a manager to step away from the actual coaching which I love doing um, and step on the sideline so I could start to actually manage and watch performance because when you're in there and you're in the midst of it and you're in the, the heat of the battle, it's it's you can't do it. It's, it's People can maybe tell me otherwise, but I, I don't believe that you can do it. I think you're facilitating. I think you're delivering. I think you are probably helping individuals improve, but that management performance piece around it is so difficult um, because there's so much going on. So uh, that was probably a really, really um, excellent piece of advice, which I'll always take with me in any managerial or head coach roles that, that I then go through in, through in the future. Probably broader and more generic um, advice just relating to the coaching is just, again, just clear and concise communication with people. Um, let people know exactly where they're at. Let them know what they think. Um, and again, football for me is very much cloak and dagger, whether it's children being released from academies, whether it's you're not playing on the Saturday. Um, or we can't, we can't, I can't tell them why because there may be a little bit of conflict with the management that sits within that. But actually, if you, you're you brave enough and you're honest enough with people, then often you'll get the return of the respect and the trust and that positive relationship that we touched on earlier when we spoke about it. So, um, yeah, probably clear, concise communication aligned with honesty. And then from a, a kind of managerial, from a head assistant coach into a managerial coach, uh, role, stepping away from the, the on-the-field coaching and start to lead and manage performance. What specific areas of coaching do you feel like you need to improve? 
where to start. Uh, there's loads that, that, I, that I need to improve on. And again, you're constantly watching your your Artetas, your the Zebris, your Pep Guardiola's, and you're trying to understand the, the level of detail they're going into. So certainly tactically, to, to aspire to get to the level that I want to, I do need to understand systems better. I need to understand structures better. I need to understand the recruitment that will probably sit behind that to enable that successful team to go into the pitch to perform. Um, so, so tactically, absolutely something that I will strive to continually get better at. And I don't think there'll ever be a stop uh, point of that, that I go, right, I'm a, I'm a tactical magician here, I'm good to go. And I don't need to learn anything anymore because the game's always evolving, the game's always changing. And it's obviously based on who you're coming up against and who you've currently got the club to. Um, so that, that, that tactical um, insight knowledge, understanding. And then, and then the other bit that probably aligns to that, which again is more from a head coach experience, which obviously I never had at Queen's Park as more the, the supporting coach, but being in the moment of the game at the touchline. Um, and again, it's such a difficult task, but you watch a lot of managers and I think it's where a lot of people become a little bit unstuck, where you're on the sideline and sometimes the game can just pass you by and you're just watching a game of football take place without actually stepping in and intervening and making appropriate decisions. So I worked really, really hard last season at Queen's Park and being in the moment of the game, not letting the crowd distract me, not letting the players on the bench or try to chat away and just having a casual conversation distract me, not let the referee's decisions distract me, just be in the moment and look at tactically systems, look at players' performance, are people performing, do they need to come off, why do they need to come off, why do we maybe need to change shape, um, how many substitutes have we got remaining, at what stage of the game are we in, what's the consequence of that based on the position in the league and the result that we need to try and attain. So, that, that, again, is something that I work really hard on, but I still get a long, long way in terms of the distance I want to travel with that. Um, and again, that's both from a, a support coach position, but a head coach position, making decisions in the right moment at the right time. And again, that's probably not something that will ever be nailed on the head that absolutely you're a, a genius at it because it's always changing and, and you're never going to get everyone right. Um, but being present in the game and actually understanding what I'm looking for and why I'm looking for it and then looking to affect change at the appropriate moment. You mentioned staying in the game and lots of it is state management. So you can either, yeah. either be in it or you're working on it. How did you stay in the game? So people are trying to distract crowds, trying to distract you. You've got assistants, you've got sports sites, you've got fitness, you've got people trying to distract. How, how do you stay in the game? What is it specifically that you do to ensure that you can get that information that you're digging in and looking for? It was, it, was, it was real challenging because the uh, the manager, obviously, dad, is very, very animated at the sidelines, uh, very, very animated, and he's reacting a lot to things that are happening. And again, that's just his style. Um, so the, when I first went into the first team role, I found it really difficult because he started to distract me and I was wanting to try to control him to then control what's happening on the pitch. And and the reality is that I couldn't affect that. So um, over a period of time, as you're saying, I started to actually work on it and go, well, what can I affect? What can I do? And the reality is I realised my boundaries on a game day was given the best information. So I don't need to give him something that he's already seen that's really, really obvious. I don't need to tell him that somebody's just lost a 10-yard pass across the pitch because he can, he can see all of that. Uh, but what good level information can I give him? And I try to simplify that to, well, I don't want to be inundating him with information, so I want to probably look at the best information once, twice, maximum three times a half, where I can maybe give some solid input to help him perform. And, and again, I must stress that it's not about helping the team perform. My role as an assistant coach is to help the manager perform. And I see everybody on that bench's role to help him 
uh, get into a state of high performance where he can then make the right decisions to further support the players. And he's almost the, the embodiment of all the staff, which is the manager, that then is the one that makes the decisions to support the players. So going back to your question around how I stayed in it, uh, there's a lot of self-talk um, and, and things that I would, phrases that I would come up with when I started to realise that I was becoming distracted or I was getting too emotionally involved. And there was a couple of times that I actually, um, whether I should have done this or not, I actually took myself away from my seat on the bench and I stood round the side of the dugout or I took a step back out of the way just so I knew that if I stayed in that place, it was too much going on that my brain just simply couldn't focus on the task in hand. Um, and when we played there United on the second or third last game of the season away at United and it was back and forth, it was chaotic, there was a bit of a good atmosphere going on, it was live on the TV. Again, the manager was really animated. I thought, I need to take myself away from this here just so I can actually help the manager perform. So those are probably a couple of the different instances where self-talk came in really, really big and probably positional change or where I was actually stood and situated to reduce the distraction and noise that was taking place to, to then help help him try and perform. Great advice. When we're emotionally unbalanced, we actually make irrational decisions and we see different pictures then. So stepping out, but it's recognizing that pattern of behavior whereby you then have to, you do have to step out. Otherwise, helping and supporting the manager becomes more of a challenge. Now, from a coaching context, what is one question you wish you were asked more frequently from players as you coach? Probably where, where I want to go and where, and where I want to be um, in, in my future, because I think. Coaches, you've got a role, and again, it, it, I kind of contradict myself a little bit because I'm saying the priority is always um, other people fulfilling their ambition and potential. But I don't think what I don't think players truly understand is actually they can help the coach become better, and they can help the coach achieve their ambitions and fulfil where they eventually want to go. And the way they do that is by challenging at the appropriate moment and being good to work with in, in many senses. And that doesn't mean they go onto the pitch and they listen to everything they're told and they just crack on because that, that isn't real life, nor would it help anybody out become better. Um, I think it's actually positive discussion um, and, and challenging decisions, challenging structures, challenging processes that are in place to, to go, why is it we're doing this? And sometimes I've heard the phrase that the simplest questions are almost the difficult questions. And, and that, again, kind of resonates with me because if somebody said to me, what, what is football? I'd probably go, what do you mean, what is football? But actually, if somebody asks you what football is, you start to dissect in your brain and there's a lot more to it than just what is football. So, yeah, I think we're probably from players understanding where, where my journey's been so far. A lot of them probably didn't realise that or maybe weren't interested, didn't want to know, didn't understand it, um, and equally where, where I eventually want to go. Because again, I think if players were to understand that a little bit more, then that relationship piece probably goes to another level again. Um, but it's one of them that I probably wouldn't be pushing on them to tell them my whole journey, career and story. It's probably for other people to, to take an interest in that, uh, generally speaking. But I do think it can help take that relationship to the next level. Oh, and final question for you. What's your greatest curiosity about coaching? I think my greatest curiosity is around coaching, but it's around, I think, opportunity um, and how, well, not how, but the top, top people, so your, your Ferguson's, your Guardiola's, those individuals that have worked at the top level and had some tremendous achievements, how they made the right decisions to take the right opportunity on. And when I look at the evolving 
changes that are happening in football. You look at the structural changes of fan ownership. You look at the um, organisational changes of what does the foot chain look like in a football club. Previously, it was always your manager that called the shots probably 10, 15 years ago. And now you've got directors of football, you've got your chief executives in any other traditional business are the, are the real leaders of the organisation. But understanding these top individuals are working at the top level, how do they know when the right opportunity is? Um, and I suppose those people do know when the right opportunity is because they continually make the right choice, whether it's to stay within the role that they're currently in or whether it's to take a new role on. Um, and that's to do with timing, but it's also probably to do with the understanding of who is it they're working with and it's just it fascinates me how they get those decisions right and ultimately helps take their career to the the next level so it's probably more of a I suppose career choice movement curiosity over than a direct coaching curiosity Um, but that that would probably be my biggest one Just shows that no matter what age you've certainly got an an old head on young shoulders but being a, a learning machine wanting to learn and having a real deep passion to go out and explore and be ignited by people's interests that can actually help your journey is is something to admire so on behalf of david and myself and the listeners thanks ever so much we'll look forward to uh, following and tracking your your progress in the professional game good luck on your pro license and we'll catch up with you again soon Cheers, Keith. Cheers, David. Thanks for everything. Yeah, appreciate that. Thanks for tuning in to the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust Podcast, and also you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.